0: Hello and welcome back to EM Insider after our long summer break. I'm Chris Slowly, the editor of CityWire Select, and as always, welcome back. Raphael Cassin. how are you doing?
1: Hi, Chris. Nice to be back.
0: It's been a big time of change. You've started a new job. I've had another child, well, my wife has, so we've, we've had a bit of a gap, bit of a break, a lot to take in in the meantime. Where should we start? Where's the best place to start? I guess sort of a performance review would make most sense. Where are we with emerging markets performance? Well,
1: it's been, in fact, quite, uh, it's, it's been going along the way that that was going before. Um, hard currency has been recovering. Uh, if, if you go back to where I thought we would be at the end of this year, I thought that the sovereign market would make anywhere between uh, nil to 5%. Uh, and the MB Global has this year so far made 0.68% up to date, you know. Um, it's not fantastic, but it's gone positive, and and that's great. And a lot of that has come from Africa. Um, The corporate market, which was plugging along quite nicely uh, ahead of of the sovereign market, uh, has slowed down a bit for a couple of reasons. One is is some concerns on the credit side, uh, but also because the sovereign side has had a chance to recover from having had so many defaults. So Corporates are up about 1.3% on the year, uh, which is within 1% of the, of the sovereign market. Remember, we were at one point with a, a, at least a two point spread. Um, the, the underperformer in all this continues to be local currency. Uh, GBI aggregate is a negative one and a half percent, 1.55. And, and that has a lot to do with strength of the dollar and a few other issues. Uh, but but that's basically where we are. So I think we're going to have a decent, of course, not outstanding year as U.S. equities have had. Uh, but that's part of the game. You know, it's part of the asset allocation concept.
0: Well, asset allocation, that's an interesting point, because one thing we talked about a lot over the start of the year, one of the things that was getting a lot of interest was that blend approach, that idea of having a bit of hard currency, a bit of local currency. Is that still the sentiment? Do you think the flows are still in that area or are they moving into one particular aspect of emerging market debt?
1: Yeah, Chris, this is really interesting. That, that, that trend towards blend, to me, seems to be dying out. Uh, the, the hard currency segment where you, you, know, you go into sovereigns and corporates, to me, seems the most attractive. And, and I prefer sovereigns because of the liquidity. Um, and I see that in the flows. You know, the flows are primarily into hard currency. Um, and, and yeah, less into blended. And it seems like the, the local currency market, if you were going to allocate to it, you probably would rather have a, a manager who could pick a few uh, uh, local currency ideas or countries, rather than uh, a whole uh, benchmark, because that, that really opens yourself up to, to a lot of risks. Number one, you know, the dollar could be strong for a while, uh, you could have currency, local currency volatility on its own, and you could have another problem, which is that a lot of countries are having uh, uh, to increase their rates, uh, interest rates, uh, this year because of the fact that they're, they're having some incipient inflation. Whether that's transient or not, we could talk about it. But, but that obviously doesn't bode very well for for the you know for local interest rate uh, markets. So so I I think that the the I would I would gamble here that at least for the next couple of years, the the managers who will deliver will be in hard currency. They will have a slight allocation to all, you know to to local currency and corporates, but it will be mostly in the hard currency sovereign space. Which is why I came here to Itaú to 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 run things this way.
0: No, excellent. Well, I mean. That lays the groundwork fantastically to bring things up to date. And I mean, we're recording this in the second week of September. Evergrande, the Chinese real estate company, I mean, we've seen that problem persist. Chinese corporates have had an interesting 12 months where we've seen elements or moves towards allowing some companies to, let's say, strategically default. And Evergrande seems to be causing problems. We were talking before the call about people lining up outside banks looking upset because it seems like there is real pressure on people's savings. How much of that is a genuine concern? How much of that is an isolated case?
1: Yeah, the videos are are quite uh, I- interesting. Uh, I look. I, I think that there's there's been quite an inflow, uh, and and probably what we're seeing now, and we, we may see more of this. Will be uh, yeah. Will be more. We may see more uh, sub stories. Um, there, I I sense that there's a. Change and I, you know, I, I had a chat with a an analyst, uh, who I, I quite respect, uh, Stephen Jen, and and you know we were discussing the first term of Xi, and then potentially you know what will happen in his second term, um, and it seems like the second term will be much more uh, inward centered. It will be on, on what his legacy is going to be, right? And, and that may mean that the Chinese may be much more aggressive in whatever they're doing. So if they're going to... Is gonna, that a positive, Rafael? Would,
0: you, would, that make, sorry, would that make you want to allocate to them if you think they are going to be much more inward-looking, or is it very much a challenge to find the areas that would prosper?
1: Well, I am happy with Chinese growth because these guys are quite, quite aggressive in, in, in empire building. Uh, yeah, I'm a little bit uncomfortable when I get a phone call in the middle of the night from somebody asking me, look, I have a position in Huarong uh, and I don't know what's going to happen. Um, and, and there is uncertainty coming from the Chinese. So, so I think that if they're going to let it all hang out, if that's the right term, uh, then it becomes a free market and we all know what happens. But if it becomes a game in which maybe they save Huarong and they let Evergrande go, uh, then the, the work becomes quite difficult for the credit analyst. Um, so I, it would be interesting to get a, a clear policy. And once for, for fund managers, you know, once you've got a clear policy, then you can you can think, right? But when it's uncertain, and so I guess that's what I would say, you know, uh, I'm happy that they do that um, as long as they don't invade Taiwan yet uh, or ever, you know, uh, because obviously that would that would create a, uh, well, there'd I be huge it.
0: global geopolitical ramifications if we had that. So I think, I mean, with the keeping it with the markets, I, I interviewed a fund manager two weeks ago who happened to be top of what we would con- call global flexible. Other people might call unconstrained. And I asked him what his secret source was. And one of the things he said was not really investing in China. He, don- he says he doesn't understand it, so he leaves it alone. And that seems to have worked quite well for him so far. So maybe there is merit in sticking with what you know in the emerging markets as much as chasing the winners.
1: Well, I would say the following. I mean, it, it, you know, just to clarify my comment on Taiwan. I mean, I, I don't want to get involved in Chinese politics. Uh, I respect, you know, I've been to both the China, Taiwan, and, and, and others in the area. Um, uh, however, I, you know, a, a major blowout would be a problem. And as you said, you know, well, I, well, I would differ a little bit from this guy or girl, uh, in the following sense, I I see value in lots of things like Russia, China, um, and I think for you know to, to each according to you know to its own. So so for example, with Russia, I, I made fantastic returns while people were uh, criticizing Putin uh, because I understood the historical context of Putin, right? And and I I also understand the historical context of a lot of stuff that happens in China. Um, so what does that mean? It means that I would love to have a little bit of clarity because I think the the work ethic is is fantastic out there. Um, of course, there there are issues everywhere, right? But for example, if 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 Waron and Evergrande, if there was a policy that that clearly stated how each one was going to be dealt with, rather than uh the, than, you know a cloud, I think that that would that would open up the market quite nicely and then well maybe you know maybe this this fund manager would go deeper into China
0: absolutely well clarity I suppose that sort of crosses the line with transparency which brings us on to everybody's favorite topic of ESG ESG in emerging markets I know it's something we've talked about a bit but I know it's something that you're also keen to investigate more where are you on ESG in the emerging markets at the moment is it still being swept up in this sort of global trend towards it well, every
1: single day I discovered old colleagues who have become experts in ESG and have joined as head of something in ESG, uh, and that's all that people talk about. And I remember in my first day managing money that I, I created a process in which I kind of looked at ESG, but the concept was a little bit different. It was broader in the sense that we looked at politics, social, uh, environment. we looked at environmental. It was part of, of managing the country, right? Um, but these days it's taken a completely crazy look at, uh, and, and what I am scared of is there are some Dutch guys who claim they know everything about ESG, uh, while there's some Norwegian guys, uh, or girls, you know, for that, uh, who claim they know better, uh, but each one is doing crazy things in its own country, uh, and, and then comes the question of which one is credible. Right, so if you were going to allocate a mandate to a sovereign manager in, in, in EM I mean, would you pick the Dutch or would you pick the Norwegian or would you pick the Greek? Let's let's take the Greek for example. Um, and and I think that uh, I've I have found that it's better to have a more centralized uh, uh, source of of data, and and to let each manager in-house determine how to rank its own funds, right? But based but based on, on a set of criteria that are consistent. Yeah. Um, JP Morgan has come up with a nice idea. I'm not plugging in for them, but I find that they do very professional stuff, um, which is, you know, they've come up with the JASC indices. Um, and I find that that's a, that's a nice compromise. And they're I can see that they're evolving the, the concept but basically they are creating the consistency and then you can decide where along that ranking of consistency you want to fit in. I think that that's much better than, than talking to, as I said, you know, to Dutch team who claims they, they, they see it better, but they might like chocolate and somebody else might prefer vanilla. And so how does that work? Right? So I, I, it would be nice. If we went that way, it would probably bring in more assets, because at the moment, it's a mess. Everybody claims it's better than the other.
0: Yeah, of course. Well, I suppose, I mean, your your chocolate and vanilla analogy is very good because we are at a world where people want that uniformity, but then they're worried that you can't fit some of this stuff into a uniform way of doing things. And, and until we can do that, I've just edited a piece looking at what fund selectors deem to be alternative. And I mean, that brings up its own challenges, but what people deem to be ESG or sustainable or ethical... I mean, we are trying to move towards that with the sustainable financial disclosure regulation and the the push towards Article eight, nine categorization for funds. But it does seem like this holy grail that people are always going to push back against and also struggle to find a way that suits literally everybody, which I think is what the industry either needs or wants. And it doesn't seem hugely feasible. I mean, that's a very long winded way of saying I agree with what you're saying.
1: Well, Chris, in the sovereign space, I mean, you could look at Faroe Islands, which I believe are Norwegian, and you can look at uh, the amount of oil output coming out of Norway. and And I've had clients who come to me and said, "Well, I'd rather put money in a a um, in an oil company that is trying its best to to be uh, environmental friendly than in another one where I've got a big question mark."
0: Yeah. Well, no, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Well, I mean. I think we could spend the whole time on ESG and my colleague Margarita's got a podcast focused on ESG. So I don't want to encroach on her territory too much at the moment. So looking at, I mean, that was, this is going to sound like a terrible segue, but looking at territories, looking at markets, what has caught your eye? Like I said, we haven't caught up properly for two, maybe three months. What has stood out? Are there any surprise stories? And I suppose the million dollar question is where are you allocating? Yeah,
1: well, that's interesting. Well, our fund hasn't been launched yet so it's going to be hopefully launched by the end of the year uh but i'm i'm looking at all of these uh, stories and and i and some of them are hatching before uh before we re- will be ready but that's okay because they're longer term trends um well look one one huge one uh is lebanon they've they've uh, they've got a huge amount of debt things are not looking very well in in lebanon and, um, and bonds have gone up quite a lot, even though it's a small percentage of the index. Uh, and they've come up with a government. So Lebanon is probably something to keep an eye on. Um, Zambia has had elections since we last spoke and the opposition won surprisingly. Oh, right. um, the spiel now from the opposition is that it wants to discuss restructuring in a friendly way. They probably want some kind of support package. Uh, I think bonds are probably a little overpriced at the moment. They're trading around seventy-eight, and, and and there's a big unknown about what will happen there. But but I guess congratulations for them for having picked the new president. Let's see what you know how that goes. But I I'd leave a question mark there. Um, El Salvador, uh, you know, Bitcoin as a currency. Not sure if if that's flown very well. Uh, so that's a little another little snippet to to keep an eye on. Uh, and the last little snippet uh, before I, I talk about a couple of big countries uh, has been elections in Peru, which makes us all keep our, our eyes open for elections next year, which we'll have a few. Um, and, and the reason is uh, Castillo won the elections. And he very he, all along his, uh, his campaign, he was talking about having something similar to the National Assembly in Venezuela. Now, if he does that, uh, that will be, in theory, another body to try to circumvent the, the current parliament, uh, if you can call it parliament, so, so you know, Congress and Senate. Uh, so, if that happens, obviously, that will throw in quite a lot of confusion into Peru, and, and that has brought the Peruvian CDS from 55 to 85 uh, along with Mexico, in the old days, people looked at Peru and thought, "Wow, this is quite safe. This is stable." But now there's a big question mark. Um, so that's that's an, another snippet to keep an eye on, considering that we we'll have elections next year. And now, obviously, uh, before you you prompt me for that because I know you will. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the big elections. Let's go right? into
0: the big elections. Yeah. So I mean. Peru, that was, that was definitely, I mean, left wing and left field and seeing a rural school teacher take over one of the most senior jobs. But we are also seeing Brazil coming to the fore. We've had Argentinian midterms with some surprising results. We've also got, I think you mentioned before, Colombia is going to come to the polls in over the next year. Where should we be looking? And, and can you rank those in order of severity for the emerging markets?
1: Yeah, I think for Colombia, the way the market is looking probably there's going to be a change. I'm not quite sure. You know, it may be a little bit too soon to tell. Um, I, I wouldn't throw, in the, throw the towel and I, I, I wouldn't yet try to guess how it's going to go. Um, now, RG is an interesting one, you know, and, and I, I like, I'm probably the only Brazilian who likes Argentina. Um, I guess it has a lot to do with football, uh, but I have some nice Argentinian friends. And, and look, basically, I think the situation there is that bonds were relegated to left field for a long time uh, after this, since the restructuring. Um, and even you know, uh, personally, I, I have some bonds uh, and we've had a nice surprise in the, in the midterm elections. We also have had a restructuring by the province of Buenos Aires, which was unexpected. Because they agreed to terms without a haircut, and and a decent uh, coupon repayment schedule, right? So so that turned out mildly positive, right? It could have gone horribly wrong, but on the pasos, which are the 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 preparation for the elections, there's a funny name for it if you read it in Spanish, like mandatory elections. Um, the the opposition has so with a, in the paso the opposition has got roughly 40% of the vote uh, vote intentions and the government around 30-31. Now, these are approximate numbers, but I think the the gist is that the Fernandez government is probably not doing as well as it would like to be. Uh, In fact, obviously, they would like to be ahead. Um, And that opens up a couple of of can of worms. Uh, Potentially, they could just uh, just collapse, right? And they could lose the election and, and right, the, the, let's say the, the right side of, of the opposition could, could win uh, the elections when they come later in the year. Um, and that obviously would be a huge boost for Argentinian assets. Um, but also we could see from now until the elections the current government coming up with some populist measures in order to recover. Well,
0: that's what I was going to say. Haven't they already introduced or they've, they've tabled the idea of having some sort of favorable taxation or, or in, in some way incentivizing voters that they are the people to trust, the welfare payment boost, for example?
1: Yeah, and they've all, well, I mean, I haven't seen the the, the, the whole story there. You probably got that first. Uh, but they've they've definitely, you know, some people resigned, have resigned. And, and so I, that's, that's the point, you know, we, we don't know. And so that's probably also why markets went up a bit uh, the day after, but then they stabilized back down a bit. Um, it, it would be interesting to see these results or, or to see what happens, I guess, in the next month. Uh, but it could be that RG turns around. Uh, and the reality is that RG needs to turn around. This is a commodity boom and there's no reason why they shouldn't benefit from it so i guess the next month and a half will be will be important
0: and its near neighbor your homeland where you're based currently how's is, how is that faring and and how much how likely is bolsonaro to retain power when the elections come around
1: uh this is one of the most difficult issues i i think you know i have always uh, you know at, uh, always early on tried to figure out what's happening but I think in Brazil, uh, election results only become more clear towards the middle of the year when there's the election. So I think that we are a little precocious at the moment in trying to guess. Um, the, the, the local polls uh, have been showing that Lula would win in any case, you know, in any, any uh, uh, probability that you, you try to put together. Um, and I think Bolsonaro on his side is trying very hard to play the Bill Clinton thing. It's the economy. Right. Yep. So he is going to try very hard to get a package to provide support to the lower income uh, segment so that he can, you know, so that they'll vote for him. Um, at the moment, it's, it's very unclear. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that I have a preference. And, and that's just because I think, you know, there are some positives coming from a Bolsonaro-type ticket. Uh, and there are some positives from a Lula-type ticket like we had in 2002. Um, and and without knowing what they are planning on doing, I think it would be a little bit foolish for me to try to guess. But I, I would say that the next few months will be quite telling uh, to see, you know, how they how they determine uh, what their campaign strategy will be. There's there's a lot of talk locally about a third way, right? So about a third, uh, an alternative to either Lula or Bolsonaro, uh, who could potentially come in as a savior uh, of the republic to be the guy who everybody will vote for because of, you know, high hopes for him uh, or her. And, and I think that that we still have a lot to see. Um, I would say that we've seen I mean obviously you probably have noticed that the volatility with the currency has been quite high yeah uh, and and we'll probably continue to see some something along those lines until things are clear um, there's there have been some discussions between the government and the Supreme Court and obviously that that brings some volatility to to to, you know, to the market um, the local currency market has also been going berserk because remember, Brazil is a country with a very long history of inflation. And, and the central bank is trying to fight inflation. But obviously, there are expectations that inflation could hit 8 9%. Uh, in fact, in some measures, it's, ha- it's already hit. Um, so I, I think that the, the, the spaces to be watching in the next few months will be where prices go, uh, obviously, how the currency do, you know, uh, moves along with that, uh, and obviously how the central bank deals with that. Uh, and it will be also interesting to see how the government and, and the opposition position themselves. Um, because there's another interesting comment here that I sometimes make to, you know, I like to challenge people, right? And, and my question is well, if you were going to try to run again, and you were not doing, you were not being seen as as doing a fantastic job on the economic economic front. Would you try to change your economic team, right? And and that is something that you know that's that's a big unknown, right? So yeah. Rumsfeld would be doing well here. So so I think these are are issues that we all have to be looking at because Brazil is a country with a lot of political parties, a lot of a lot of interests and and we don't we won't know what they will be until until they come up and surface so so I would say that it's a huge unknown I mean I'm never really thinking that Brazil can default um, but I, I can see volatility here and there and what I'm looking for is how the volatility is dealt with so I think, yeah, and from here until probably May of next year, uh, we will be guessing rather than anything. I mean, the economy is working well. I'm I'm in the office. Uh, we've we've got a pretty strong team here. I mean, when I mean by strong is people come every day. Yeah. Um. You know, people wear masks. Uh, a lot of people are vaccinated, but the economy is running. I mean, traffic in São Paulo is is getting back to business. You know. Um. So I I would imagine that on the economic front, there are some predictions that there's going to be a little bit of weak next next year. Uh, but I would say that uh, that yeah, it's you know Brazil is, is still the economy is still quite strong.
0: Well we'll be here we'll be here to cover it as it evolves and develops and like you said you tend to get a clearer view as you get towards that middle stage so i won't let this happen again where time slips and we end up with a big gap of not doing these recordings because i find them fascinating and useful and an important marker of the way that the market's moving so Raphael, thank you very much for taking the time today
1: well chris and i look forward to that too and thanks again
0: fantastic thanks Raphael.